0: Hey, it's Greg Stanley. If you're listening to this podcast, you know I love everything automotive. This passion has expanded to include being a car specialist consultant for RM Sotheby's. So if you need assistance buying or consigning a collector car at any one of our online or live auctions, including Scottsdale, Amelia Island, or Monterey, you can reach one of our car specialists at rmsotheby's.com or you can email me directly at gstanley at rmsotheby's.com. This is the Collector Car Podcast, the home for the auto enthusiast. Join Greg Stanley as he applies over 25 years of insights and analytical experience to the collector car market. He will interview the experts and throw in some fun stuff as well. Happy New Year's Day to all of you. And if you're checking this out a few days later, happy 2021. Hopefully we can get 2020 behind us. Well, welcome to the very first episode of Your Cars, Your Podcast. First off, thank you to the listeners that submitted their cars for review. Now, I had put this out on Instagram and social media a few months ago, so I apologize for the delay, uh, but if you would like to have your car or cars reviewed, please send me a few pictures with details to gstanley at I'm planning on reviewing five to ten cars per quarter. Now, this is not an official appraisal, and it is just for fun, so I don't want any hate mail if my numbers are lower than what you were hoping for. I would be okay with glowing reviews if I priced them higher than you were expecting. (laughs) Now, not all cars that are submitted will be reviewed just because I don't have the time or bandwidth to do so, but I will pick 5 to 10 cars based on current market trends or anything that might be of note to call out. But before we get to the reviews, I do have a few updates. First off, thanks again for those of you who are supporting this podcast through Patreon, And if you would like to support this podcast in some way, you can go to patreon.com and just Google The Collector Car Podcast. Another way is also to uh, reach out to our sponsors. I only have a few right now, and if you would like to become a sponsor, just shoot me a note at gstanley at R. Sotheby's or at greg at thecollectorcarpodcast.com. As I mentioned earlier, I am starting to live stream. I will live stream uh, episodes in January and going forward. Typically, the live stream will be a few days before the Thursday podcast release. When that will be, I don't know exactly, but I will say just follow me on Instagram and I will give a heads up as far as when the live streaming will occur. I am also live streaming at a couple Concorde Concord festivals, Sandhills Motoring Festival, and then also at the Cincinnati Concourse Elegance this year. So if you cannot make it to either one of those in person, you can check it out and feel like you're a part of the action by going to my Instagram feed or social media pages. Now on to the cars. There are a lot of caveats to this exercise, so I want to be sure everybody understands. First off, the collector car market peaked in 2015, so almost all five-year market trends are down. I'm going to provide a one-year, a three-year, and a five-year market trend, although we do have one car today that bucked that trend. It was actually up over the last five years, which is really interesting. Now, Haggerty's market index shows that the all-time high for the collector car market was in August of 2015, and the five-year high is February of 2015. So we're past the peak when looking at the five-year trend. Now, going back to August of 2015, the market is down almost 45% when you look at Haggerty's market index. That is a lot. In the last 12 months, the market is down almost 9%, and it's down almost 19% the last three years. So it's was down a lot compared to 2015. In the last three years, it's down a little bit less. In the last year, even less. So the declining trend is slowing, which is good. Now, the last time the market was at today's current level was in April of 2013. Think about that. That's a long time ago. But there is some good news. The one-month trend is up slightly, and as the auction seasons heat up in 2021 and COVID subsides, I would expect some significant growth in the next year to year and a half. Now, another note, as I said before, this episode is just for entertainment purposes only. I'm basing my comments only on the pictures and descriptions that were provided by the listeners. I am not climbing up, under, in, or around your car with a flashlight and a paint meter. That being said, thank you to all of you who sent in your incredible cars. Honestly, I'd love to have any of these in my garage right now. Another caveat is insurance valuation tools are fantastic when you want to know the replacement cost of your car. However, just because the replacement value of a car is, say, $46,000 per the insurance valuation tools, it does not mean that your car is actually worth $46,000. Now, if you've ever watched the Antiques Roadshow on PBS, the appraisers will value an item at one price point, but then they'll have the owner insure it for double the amount as the replacement value. So, if they said your diamond ring is worth $5,000, but you know what? You need to get it insured for $10,000. That's what I'm talking about. Now, most insurance valuation prices on automobiles, I think, are about 15 to 20% above what the car is actually worth. So, to calculate the actual value of your car, you need to look at the most recent five to 10 sales results for similar cars. For example, if the last 10 cars like yours sold for forty dollars to $50,000, and maybe there was an outlier selling at $80,000, it doesn't mean your car is worth $80,000. It means it's worth probably around forty dollars to $50,000. Now let's talk about condition ratings. In general, most folks think their cars are way nicer than they really are, and I have been guilty of that. I, I thought my Mustang, my 1966 Mustang, was a plus-three car, but when I really look at it objectively, it really was a plus-four car, so it wasn't as nice as I thought it was. Now, for these reviews, I will reference Haggerty's rating system, which is very similar to a lot of the other ones out there, including Sports Car Market and Hemmings. Now, this is directly from Haggerty. Condition 1 vehicles are the best in the world. Think of a Concorde vehicle. The visual image is of the best vehicle, in the right colors, driving onto the lawn at the finest Concorde. Perfectly clean, the vehicle has been groomed down to the tire treads. Paint and chrome surfaces are mirror-like. Dust and dirt are banned, and materials used are correct and superbly fitted. The one-word description for number one vehicles is Concorde. So on my travels, I will see Concorde cars, but it's very, 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 very rare. All right, condition number two vehicles could win local, a local or regional show. They can be former number one vehicles that have been driven or have aged. Season observers will have to look closely for flaws, but will be able to find some not seen by the general public. The paint, chrome, glass, and finishes will all appear as excellent. No excessive smoke will be seen on startup. No unusual noises will emulate from the engine. The vehicle will drive as a new vehicle of its era would. The one-word description for a number two vehicle is excellent. Now, this is the cars I would say are at really nice car shows. You know, if you look at them closely, they're not Concours, but they're probably winning the car show or at least their class. Condition number three vehicles could possess some, but not all of the issues of a number four vehicle, which we will go into here in a minute, but they will be balanced by other factors such as a fresh paint job or a new correct interior where applicable. Number three vehicles drive and run well, but might have some incorrect parts. These vehicles are not used for daily transportation, but are ready for a long tour without excuses, and the casual passive buyer will not find any visual flaws. Good is the one-word description of a number three vehicle. Now, you're lucky to have a number three vehicle. I thought my Mustang was number three. It was really nice. It photographed great. But honestly, it could have used a freshened up interior. I did put in new carpet, but the seats were a little bit worn. If someone says your car is a number three car, that is a compliment in my book. All right. Condition four vehicles are daily drivers with flaws visible to the naked eye. The chrome might have pitting or scratches. The windshield might be chipped. Paintwork is imperfect. And perhaps the body has a minor dent. Split seams or a cracked dash. Where applicable might be present. No major parts are missing, but the wheels could differ from the originals, and other non-stock additions might be present. A number four vehicle can can also be a deteriorated restoration. Fair is the one word that describes a number four vehicle. So even though my Mustang had a bare bare metal repaint, it would be a number four. It did not have a cracked dash, but it did have wear on the seats, as I mentioned before. The wheels were factory correct for '65, but mine was a '66, slightly larger, so they were not the correct, uh, not the correct wheels. The engine bay was dirty; it was 70% stock, I'd say. Uh, so it really was a plus four. Now, condition number five, Haggerty doesn't mention, but that is poor, meaning it's. Pretty much a car that needs a whole lot of work, might have rusted floorboards, doesn't run. And then a condition six, which I've seen numerous times in numerous publications, would be a basket case or a parts car. One that maybe isn't even complete, maybe it's missing an interior, might not have all the doors, that kind of stuff. So for this review, I will assume these cars are in number two condition for the most part. So that's pretty generous. And there is one car that I will review that truly looks outstanding. So I'll call that out when I see it. And you can see all these cars on my Instagram feed at the Collector Car Podcast. They are up there right now on my Instagram stories and I will repost them to my feed. So the cars that I'm reviewing, I will have an abbreviated description provided by Haggerty, except for the last car because Haggerty did not have a description, which was surprising. So the first car I'm reviewing is a BMW Z8. The BMW Z8 was made available to the public in 1999 as a 2000 model year. 2 years after the Z07 concept car upon which it was built took rave reviews at the Tokyo Motor Show, the production version designed by Henry Fisker was hailed as a modern interpretation of the company's 507 of the late 1950s with a similar front end and styling cues, and the car certainly lived up to that claim. Let's see, it used the same 4.9 liter V8 engine that was used in the M5. Let's see, factory times for 4.7 0 to 60 and it supposedly traveled up to 170 miles per hour, but it was electronically limited to 155 miles per hour. Let's see. Production of all the z 8 stopped in 2003 after almost 5,800 left Munich, nearly half of which were destined for the U.S. market. Today, the cars are recognized as one of BMW's high points of the last several decades and have achieved collectability status only 15 years after they bowed. Some cars have experienced problems with the engine's variable valve timing units and others have had cam sensor issues. But overall, the cars have been fairly reliable. Most were not originally daily drivers, so seek out original owners when possible. Also, steer clear of cars with deferred maintenance as repairs can be expensive when they do occur. Really cool car. I'm just now starting to fall in love with these cars. The styling is a little polarizing. Either you love them or you don't. It uh, was famously introduced in one of the cheesy James Bond movies. Now on to the numbers for the BMW z 8 All right, let's see. The average value per Hagerty is $144,000. And condition ratings, number one is $241,000. Number two is $84,000. Number three is 144. And number four condition is 114. Uh, Latest sales, 2020, 2019, we have three no sales kicking it off at 135, $171,000, and almost $285,000. And then we have two that sold for 142 and 160. Now the percent change for one year, three year, and five year. And now this is based on number two condition. In the latest five years, it's actually up 2.7. The latest three years is down 11.5, and the latest one year is down 10.7. So it has been depreciating lately, which is interesting. Now these typically sell for 140 to 180 thousand dollars. Russo and Steel had a no-sale at $275,000 that I mentioned before, but that car only had 413 miles. So mileage is a big deal, as well as color. A 2003 model sold for $400,000 in 2017, but that one only had 61 miles, and it was black-on-black. Black. So the color can impact results. Non-silver is typically worth more. And like I said before, this model has been declining recently. So the one I'm reviewing, I believe it's a 2001 with 18,000 miles, so not high mileage, but not super low, and it is silver. So I put this right around 150 dollars to $180,000 for this car. All right, our second car is a 1978 Mercedes 280E. So by the emission of a Mercedes-Benz, the W123 platform was not revolutionary, but rather a thorough, mature, mid-range car, combining the latest engineering with tried and tested design features, This sober summary reflects the lasting legacy of the W123, a solidly built automobile with timeless poise and class. I've always loved these. My dad actually redid one or two of them when I was, I don't know, probably 12 or 13. I couldn't drive, but I remember riding in them. They were pretty cool. And he was not a restoration expert. He just did it for fun at the local community college. All right. Introduced in 1976, the W123 platform included a four-door sedan and sleek coupe, the one W123 replaced the aging W114 and W115 platforms, also known as the Stroke 8s, which at the time were the most successful Mercedes passenger cars to date. The incoming 123s were styled after the new S-Class, which was a clear break with the classical style of the Stroke 8. W123 offered a longer wheelbase, a wider track, and a larger body. When the 123 went out of production in 1986, it had surpassed the Stroke Eight as the best-selling Mercedes-Benz with more than 2.5 million cars sold. Mercedes built the car to last, and many are still on the road today. As a testament to the car's durability, it is popular in Africa as a bush taxi covering thousands of miles of rough roads with only basic maintenance. The 3-liter inline-5 diesel of the 300D While lacking in power, it's considered to be one of the most reliable engines ever built. The timeless design is sure to last as long as the car itself, making this car a classic that is here to stay. Okay, on to the numbers. And a quick shout-out, if you would like to see more about this particular car and follow its adventures with its owner, check out Wesley Wormster IG feed at the Wandering 280 e So, Wesley, thanks for submitting this car. Okay. His is a 1978 Mercedes 280E. Average value is $6,500. In number one condition, Concord condition, it's $11,200. Uh, then it goes to $8,800 in number two condition, then $6,500 in number three, and $4,000 in number four condition. There were no latest sales in 2019 and 2020, so I do not have those to reference. And the change, which kind of surprised me a little bit, these are slightly down. The five-year number is down 6.8, the three-year number is down 6.4, and the one-year number is down 5.4. Now, Wesley's particular car is very clean. He's the second owner. He sent me some pictures of some tremendous documentation from the previous owner. Uh, let's see. Downside is it's fairly high mileage, not necessarily for Mercedes, but just in general at 159,000 miles. Now, I will have to say, great documentation does not always equal to value at the time of selling. I know this the hard way because my 1966 Mustang, I had so much documentation and I even interviewed the second owner who bought it in 1967, had a window sticker, all sorts of great stuff, and it added zero dollars at the time of sale, unfortunately. If you get the right buyer, it can add a lot of dollars. Now, the estimate on this car, I put it about seven to eight thousand dollars. That's Maybe a little generous. If you look at the pictures, it looks really, really nice. I would assume it's right on a number three car. But knowing the documentation, I put value to that. It looks very clean, very well ter- taken care of. So I would say seven to $8,000 for his 1978 Mercedes 280E. Okay, on to the next one, which was actually the very first one that was submitted. It's a Saab Sonnet. So in the 1950s, Roll Meldy designed a Sonnet sports car for Saab. The odd name had nothing to do with Shakespeare. I don't know where that reference came from. The Swedish Sadna Dinar, I'm horrible at foreign accents, which reportedly loosely translated to How Cool Is That? Sixten Sassen worked on the aluminum subframe and floor, and six fiberglass body roadsters were built in 1956 and 1957. Now, U.S. dealers wanted more. They loved it. Uh, long story short, they created a Saab Sonnet two, and then the Saab Sonnet three. So let's see, the Saab Sonnet 3 traded advantages and disadvantages with the Saab Sonnet 2. On the plus side, the rear window now opened up as a hatch. On the minus side, the 2's tilt nose was replaced by a small trap door for engine access, requiring the entire nose to be removed for any major work to be completed. Over four years, just over 8,000 Saab Sonnet 3s were built. The engine was bumped to 1,700 cc in 1971, but emissions regulations kept power about the same at 65 horsepower. The cars were quite slippery, slippery, though, with a low 0.31 cd, and the 103 mph was possible with 0-60 to mph coming in at about 12 seconds. The cars came in some wild colors, lime green, golf yellow, orange, and purple, and the soccer ball alloy wheels are handsome. Pop-up headlights were mechanically operated, and a roll bar was incorporated in the design Black bumpers were fitted for the 1973 and 1974 model years, but do not detract from the overall appearance. It is estimated that half of Sonnet 3's production survives today, although rust in the floor pan is an issue to be mindful of. As a fiberglass car, electrical grounds can be problematic and wiper motors are impossible to replace without removing the nose. The principal single issue, though, revolves around the gearbox's freewheel gear, which isn't up to the V4 engine's torque and could leave one with a box full of neutrals. That would be very unfortunate. All right, now onto the numbers. Average value for these cars is $9,400. Number one condition is $30,500. Number two is 17,600 and number three is 9,400 and number four is 4,900. Now again, the average value based on condition, those are about 15 to 20% higher than the real-world sale price would be. Now, latest results, we only have one comp to reference, was from 2018 for $14,000. And let's see, the five-year change is actually up 7.4%. The three-year change is up 8%. The one-year change, is it is flat. Now, the one that was submitted looks to be the best of the best in the world, and I think it would sell for very strong. It's like a, a light yellow color, absolutely gorgeous. The engine bay looks absolutely gorgeous. I would put this, if not Concorde, really, really close to Concorde. And one thing I'll say is when you see a car in person and it's that nice, it can really ring the bell at an auction. One example I'll give is I was asked to look at a 1951 Lincoln Cosmopolitan, I believe. Four-door Lincoln, nothing special. Nobody wants those right now. 1951. And bring a trailer, wanted to put the reserve on at $26,000. The owner wanted the reserve to be at $28,000. So I could have bought it that day for $28,000. And I saw the car, and it was just immaculate. It wasn't Concord, but it was by far the nicest one anyone probably would have ever seen. And so I reviewed it, and I rolled up some numbers to RM Sotheby's. And I had it, I think I had it, 35 reserve. I said it would sell 35 to 45 grand. Well, Arm Sotheby's has actually raised it because they actually saw how nice this car was. They put it forty to fifty grand and they put said the reserve, you know, around forty grand or so. And anyway, so I presented it back to the seller, and when did you know it? It went to auction. People saw it live and it sold for fifty one thousand dollars. So he went from maybe selling it for twenty eight grand, put it in front of the right audience, people can see it in person, see what a special car it is. And it sold for $51,000. Now, I expect the same with this Saab. This is a gorgeous Saab. So I put this between twenty dollars and $25,000. Really, really strong car. Really, really nice car. Thanks for submitting it. Okay, the next one is a very rare American muscle car, or sports car, if you listen to some of the earlier podcasts. Uh, 1970 Corvette ZR1. Now, the ZR1 package of the 1970 to 72 Corvette created the rarest factory built high performance small block special purpose Corvette since the airbox cars of 1957. The total production of ZR1 Corvettes over three years was 53 cars, with 25 built in 1970, which was actually the most of the three year run. Eight were built in 1971, and 20 in 1972. This makes the first generation ZR1 rarer than an L88 or even a 1963 Z06, which is just shocking. So if you don't know, the special purpose ZR1 package included the LT1 engine, M22 transmission, J56 heavy-duty brake package with dual-pin front calibers. Uh, Let's see, a lot of other cool stuff I won't go into. Accoutrements like air conditioning, power steering, power windows, rear window defroster, alarm system, and AM-FM stereo weren't available to be ordered for the ZR1. And as such, every ZR1 was a radio delete car with no hole for the antenna. A good way to spot a real one. Now, just a side note, the ZR2s, which I've covered in previous episodes, are even rarer than the ZR1s. But nobody ever he- talks about the ZR2s, do they? <laughs> All right. The numbers on this car. All right. So, low production, but 1970. The one we're looking at is the 1970 model. That was where they made the most, 25. Uh, not a lot of comps. It's actually not in the Haggerty database. So, I don't have any condition uh Values based on conditions one, two, three, or 4. The latest sales, 2020, 2019 only. One sold for $117,000. One was a no sale at $130,000. We had a no sale at $225,000. Now, quick call out on this one. This was a 1972, so that is one of the rarer ones. It was also NCRS benchmark car, basically meaning all original, unrestored, and perfect. It only had 300 miles on it, which explains the crazy price on this car. And then another one did not sell for $150,000. Again, that was another 1972 model, and that result is from 2018. Now, like I said, the rarer cars, 1971 and 1972 are rarer. There's not that many comps. I project a 1970 Corvette ZR1 in number two condition to be somewhere around $120,000 to $130,000. We are on to our last two. Okay. You guys gave me some hard ones, so I appreciate that. The next one's a Maserati, 1977 Maserati Kylami. And I know I'm saying that wrong. All right. This description is from Maserati USA. The Kylami marked the end and the beginning of an era. It was the last Maserati coupe equipped with the illustrious V8 engine. While it was the first car developed under the new ownership of De Tomaso. The Calami was actually based on De Tomaso's own Longchamp model, but the Ford V8 engine was replaced in favor of Maserati's own 4 cam V8, and the original design was reworked by Frua. About 210 units were produced between 1976 and 1983. Only 75 of them had the 4.9 liter engine. The other ones were 4.2 liter. The name derives from the South African racetrack where the Maserati engine Cooper Formula One car scored an important win almost a decade earlier. So, cool car. You can see a picture of it on my Instagram feed. All right, let's go over the numbers. Let's see. Based on condition, number one condition, Haggerty has it at $112,000. Number two condition, $89,000. Number three, $74,000. And number four condition, $60,000. The only comp I have is from 2019, where a 4.2 liter sold for $53,000. Now, the percent change, five-year percent change is 20.6, so up a lot over five years. Three years, up 2.3, and latest year, it's actually flat. So of the five cars I reviewed, actually three of them were up over the last five years. Now, this car, I would peg between 60 dollars and $70,000. I don't know if it's a 4.2 or 4.9 liter car, this number is based on it being a 4.9. If it's a 4.2 liter car, I'd probably take 10 grand off, make get a 50 to 60 thousand dollar car. Okay, our last one is not an easy one. Once again, it's the 1967 Ford Mustang Resto Mod. Resto mods are really hard because the valuation of the parts does not equate to the value of the car, and sometimes folks will restore a car, make it into a resto mod. And they might have a supercharger that doesn't go with the engine. There's a lot of things that could happen unless they know what they're doing. Now, this particular car was a special on a TV show. And I forgive me, I don't have it noted here which TV show it was, which could add some value or it might not. Uh, maybe a little bit of value, I would argue. But it's a 1967 Ford Mustang Fastback. I don't know if this car was originally a six-cylinder a 289 two barrel, 289 four barrel, or one of the rare Hypo K code cars, or if it was a big block 390 car. For the purposes of this exercise, I'm going to do the price comparison compared to a 390 big block car, and then I'll throw in some Resto mod references so we can see if we can come up with an accurate number here. So the average value for a big block 390 car uh, in number one condition is $74,000, I guess I should say the replacement value, Number two is $64,400. Number three, 47700 And number four, condition, $32,100. Now, the latest sales, we have quite a few. Uh, we had a Resto Mod with a 4.6 liter V8 engine sell for $88,000. I think that's the high sale. Uh, let's say we had one no sale, 5.0 liter Resto Mod for $62,000. We had one that did sell for $54,000, and it had the same engine as our our example does, a 331 cubic inch V8. This particular car was from the movie Vanilla Sky with Tom Cruise, and then we have two more that did not sell, a 67 390 big block fastback with a four-speed. It did not sell at $60,000, and then a GT500 clone that was a small block, and uh, it, sold, it did not sell for $70,000. Now, surprisingly, the trends on the Mustang big block are actually down, which surprised me a little bit. The five-year trend is down 3.7%. The three-year trend is down 5.4%. And the one-year trend is down 9.9%. So the trend is actually accelerating in the most recent one year. Now, a few of my notes here. It's very hard to price resto mods and everyone's taste is different. The cost of the parts does not always equate to value. Non-Eleanor Restomods are tra- trading between $50,000 and $90,000. Sadly enough, the Eleanor models are bringing more money. And I say sadly enough because I feel like that trend is overdone, personally. So for this car, I would estimate between seventy dollars and $90,000. Based on the picture, it looks like a beautifully done Restomod example. I believe it was dark green. Looks really, really nicely done so I would put it between seventy and ninety thousand dollars, based on the information that was sent to me. That is our first Your Cars Your Podcast. Let me know if you like.